ಸ್ಥಿರೈರಂಗೈಸ್ತುಷ್ಟುಭಾಗಂಸ್ತನೂಭಿಸ್ತನೋಸ್ತನೋಸ್ತಾಕ್ಷ್ಯೋರಿ
very Swarupa, the nature of oneself, which cannot be produced through action. And therefore what? Therefore we have an understanding here that this Mumuksha is to be translated to Jignasa. It's a quantum being. So to say Adhihi, please teach me, is a big thing. It's not a small thing to say, please teach me. Because one has to be ready to say that. And here Ashvalayana is, is shown to be extremely with it and extremely ready for this knowledge. And this readiness here is what, you know, is called Jignasutvam, also Mumukshutvam, same thing. And then if this desire for knowledge is there, then, you know, if when somebody has a tivra ichha, a great desire to learn, then what happens? You know, you put yourself into the situation of being able to absorb the knowledge, correct? And that is called, and the situation means both the, 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 the mindset and the, you know, and the mind and the heart are all prepared for this knowledge. So you put yourself in the situation to, to gain this knowledge. And that here is called the six. You know, I told you yesterday there are four qualifications. One of the qualifications, Shama, Dhamma, Ityadi, it is called. Sometimes we, for the sake of fun, we refer to it as six-pack. And so this six-pack is actually one. Because it's a lot of internal, you know, internal shifts that I bring about in my mind, in my heart. So that this mumukshutvam, this jignasutvam, this desire to gain the knowledge is kept at the forefront. So I arrange my life, including my feelings, to be able to be a worthy recipient of this knowledge. That is what is the six pack. And what does the six pack include? Shama. Shama. What is Shama? Shama means the, the ability to have a non-reactive mind. To be blessed with a non-reactive mind. Usually what is the mind like? Most of the time you feel like saying never mind. That is the nature of the mind. But to have a non-reactive mind is a great blessing. It's not something you have or don't have. To, to be able to cultivate that. And in order to be able to cultivate that, you have to have a value for the, for the knowledge. See, that is why Jignasutvam comes first in a certain way of speaking. Everything hinges on the desire to learn. Otherwise, you know, there are people who practice meditation in some ashrams. All that is taught is meditation. For the sake of what? There is no teaching. There is only meditation that is taught. You have to just be calm, you have to be calm, you have to be calm. It's like saying, you know, wear this wonderful tuxedo. For what? Sitting at home. You know, sitting at home, you don't need a tuxedo. Why are you wearing this? Are you planning to go to concert? No. Are you planning to go to some formal occasion? No. Opera? No. You have some kind of prom? No. Then why are you wearing this tuxedo? Just like that. You know, all dressed up with nowhere to go. So the Shama is for the sake of the knowledge. I practice with meditation and, and 
through the practice of the sattvic lifestyle that we are reading about in the Panchanashi, I, I keep my mind calm at all times because that reactivity becomes a strong pratibandha. What is pratibandha? Obstacle in the pursuit of, of the teaching, of the knowledge. And so shama, and then the shama is contingent. The, a, having a resolved, non-reactive mind is contingent upon having a non-reactive set of organs of actions. Yeah. You know, first the, the organs of actions are brought together, you know, to, so that the outward demeanor is peaceful. First of all, what are the organs of actions? Hand, leg, speech, reproductive and excretory organs together are known as organs of action. So discipline with regard to the utilization of the organs of actions is known as the Bahyendra Nigraha. So this discipline is very important because usually when you feel like hitting someone, if you start hitting, then there is no, you know, there is no uh, discipline there. And so this discipline is extremely important. So the inward discipline is called Shama with regard to the non-reactive mind so that even if somebody says something, I don't bother. Why don't I bother when somebody says something? Because my pursuit is the knowledge. I'm not interested in trying to have an argument. And, you know, and so therefore that is Shama. And then that same inward reflective quiet mind is reflected in the outward behavior. So the mind is more introspective. It's only concerned about the knowledge. It's not concerned about anything else. And so the body is also likewise a reflection of what the mind is. The body is also non-reactive. You know, and in the Bhagavad Gita also this is described. Yuktahara viharasya. So for the one whose ahara, whose food is in moderation, Vihara, whose movement is in moderation. Yukta cheshta. Cheshta means the, the needless moving of the arms and legs and all the organs of action, including the tongue, is, is curtailed. Yukta. It is appropriate. When it is appropriate, speak. When it is not appropriate, withdraw from the speech. This is what is talked about. And uh, so this is called Dhamma. And the ability of the mind to stay with itself, even though it can be practiced by meditation, um, there, uh, the mind, you to have a say over the mind, another qualification is needed where you are able to drop the thoughts as they arise. And it's a baby vairagya with regard to the thoughts. And that is called uparama or uparati. So how many have we finished? Shama, Dhamma, Uparati or Uparama. Uparama can be defined as letting go of the small stuff. Taking sannyas with regard to your thoughts and mental processes. <laughs> then you let go of them. Yeah, You give them up, you give them up. Some disturbance will come. You know, the mind being what it is, it just reflects whatever there is. And it is generally, you know, goes from one thought to another. And some disturb vritti arises, a disturbance arises. Why did this person behave like this? 
I really wanted to do this and this person is doing this. And then usually that's just one vritti, that's just one thought. And how long does the thought last? By the time you watch it, it's gone. But what do we do? We engage the full force of the ahankara to identify with that thought. First is there is a rise of disturbance. Instead of being the witness, the sakshi of the rise of disturbance, I participate in the disturbance, I identify with the disturbance and then very soon it's not the rise of the disturbed thought. What is it? It is I am disturbed. Yeah. So when I am able to, 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 to delineate that and disengage myself from that, that reproducing process where I keep creating and magnifying those disturbances, this is called Uparati, Uparama, same thing. Then, as I was telling you yesterday, the qualifications include a certain ability to put up with difficulty for the sake of the knowledge. Yeah. And in fact, there are no difficulties. What difficulties there are? You know, no, so difficult to come to class every day. <laughs> Wish I had not signed up for this one month course. <laughs> so, you know, like this to say, it's not, uh, this is not a, what's the word for it? It is not a difficulty really. If studying Vedanta is a chore, then that means there is some disturbance there that needs to be, you know, that needs to be interrogated and cleaned up. Because Vedanta is like looking at a mirror. And even if someone doesn't like how they look, they will still not pass a reflecting surface. Even if one is 90 years old and the face looks like a road map full of creases, when you pass a storefront or some reflecting surface, the person will stop there to look. That is the love for the self. And so really, this is not a chore. If it feels like a chore, then there is something else that's going on. And so here, the forbearance, that putting up with difficulties to learn the knowledge is called titiksha. Titiksha, forbearance. Putting up with difficulty. And so, when one studies, one puts oneself in the position of being comfortably uncomfortable. Yeah. If one is too comfortable, for example, with the, even with a sitting posture, what will come? Yeah, Nidra will come, not Nitya. Nitya means the, you know, that which is eternal, which is you. Nitya means Atma. Nidra means sleep. So even in the posture, one is comfortably uncomfortable. And in every other way, one is alert. One is putting oneself. It's not that, you know, this is some kind of a masochistic uh, lifestyle. That, oh, I'm suffering and the more I suffer, the more knowledge I'll get. <laughs> That's not the idea that you know you're in some kind of a masochistic lifestyle. And there are certain religious disciplines, austerities, they, people do that. They, there is piercings. That's the whole culture of piercings. They got it from India only, I suppose. And uh, this tattooing, and they, all that has come from India. Here, of course, they take everything to the extreme. So the piercing was a religious discipline. So they would pierce the tongue and then walk around the temple. It was so that all the things that I have said, it was a, it was a propitiatory ritual. 
prayaschitta karma where you where you uh, it's a ritual of atonement where you say um, i ask seek forgiveness from bhagavan for all the things that you might have said with this tongue and so that you impale the tongue so to speak to give it a certain kind of a discipline and to say sorry for all the ways in which you may have hurt others so that is some kind of a discipline but we are not talking of that kind of a discipline we are not talking of you know for study of vedanta what do you have to impale you don't have to impale yourself you don't have to impale your mind or body you don't have to you know do self flagellation it's not about masochism it's about increasing the threshold of what a person deems as the limits of one's tolerance and the threshold is different for everybody that's why if you go to the hospital you know if you watch the nurses uh, they will ask if somebody the patient is in pain they will say on a scale of 1 to 10 please describe your pain and the person says one person says 11 <laughs> on the scale of 1 to 10 they were asked the person has no titiksha they say 11 and the another person even though they are dying of pain will say two because that is the threshold of pain so the threshold is measured how you are able to tolerate it it's not there is not an objective threshold of pain so the threshold of discomfort whether it's physical or mental is determined according to one's own subjectivity this is very clear and so the this subjectivity which is in the determination is sometimes it puts a false cap on the threshold every jiva does that every ahankara does that puts a false cap on the threshold and so one sinks into a certain complacency from where one it's very difficult to get one out of that complacency one starts to believe this is exactly how much i can tolerate this is who i am first what i can tolerate then it i it it the self identification or rather the self misidentification sinks in this is who i am this is what i can tolerate this is who i am this is how i am and then there is no place for growth growth lies the opportunity for growth is always when you are call to increase that threshold of course then the question comes why should i increase the threshold <laughs> you know is this uh, i'm hurting myself why should i increase the threshold because the threshold cap is always a a a place of complacency it is not what you are capable of the atma which is you has no threshold really and and the limits have to do with the body mind sense complex and the body mind sense complex along with the ahankara the i notion which reigns throughout the body mind sense complex will always choose the easy way out yeah so for growth there is always that threshold and at no other point is it is it evident than in the pursuit of vedanta mm. is that despite the difficulties i am able to take that extra step it's difficult to come to class but nonetheless i do it's difficult to study but nonetheless i do and for the sake of the teachings you know people in the olden times like i told i was telling you the story yesterday of indra and virojana both of them go to prajapati 33 years 
take care of the cows, Virojana gets fed up by no ditiksha. And Virojana says, I want to, both of them say, I want to look at the Atma. And Prajapati claps his hands and two other Brahmacharis bring a big cauldron of water. And Prajapati says, gentlemen, look at the Atma. And Indra is very good looking. Virochana is also very good looking. And both of them look at each other, look at themselves in the reflection. And they flex their muscles and say, oh, not bad, you know, this is good. Now look at these moustaches. Ah, look at the face cut. How nice. Look how lithe and fit I am. If this is the Atma, this is wonderful. And both of them go back thinking this is the Atma. The body is as good as the Atma. And this is where Daiva Anugraha, Deva Anugraha, the grace of God and the good karmas from the past prevail because they get halfway. And Indra, you know, is wanting to drink some water from the river. And the river, surface of that lake or river has a, you know, some twigs and uh, dried leaves on top of the water. So he, with the view to clearing it, he goes like this on the surface of the water, thereby disturbing the surface. And then he looks at himself and the surface is all, you know, disturbed. And he said, this cannot be the Atma because Atma is unchanging if the body is Atma. And a mere wind or the movement of the water cannot displace the reflection. Something is not correct. I have not understood properly. Goes back and what does Prajapati say? Oh, thank God you came back. No, Prajapati is least bothered if anybody comes back or not. And, and so he doesn't say here, come, you must have traveled a long way. Let's give you some coffee and then let's give you some food and then decide what to study today, which text we will take, you know, no. What does he do? Gives him the key again, goes head straight to the stables. And this whole stable business, one intended is to have a certain stability. <laughs> By tending to the stables, one becomes stable. Stable enough to, to want the knowledge so badly that for 33 years you are just staying there. That staying power is titiksha. It's nothing other than the staying power. And the staying power has to be cultivated. Because otherwise, you know, the knowledge is, is just like that. In the beginning, everybody has what is called soda bottle enthusiasm. You know, you open the can or the bottle of some fizzy drink, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and then what happens? There's a lot of pep. That's why it's called Pepsi. Then as soon as you start seeing the pep, the pep becomes flat. Yeah. In the beginning, there is just this fountain of desire. Yes, I'm going to get moksha in one month. I'm going to, I'm going to take all the tracks, you know. And I saw this in some of the, the, the forms that people had sent out, you know. I thought we'll choose one because that's why there are all these tracks and somebody ticked five of them, you know. Five of them, all five I'm going to take, all six I'm going to take. So somebody had ticked all six of them. All and One more person had ticked all five of them. So this is, uh, you know, soda bottle enthusiasm, you know. And, and what happens after one week of attending the classes? Oh, every Saturday, every Sunday, so many things, four, four hours, why? 
you have to in the summer when this is the time to let go, relax. Here I am, you know, just sort of slogging over this. What happened last week? Nothing happened. So again this week I have to do this. <laughs> what will happen if I miss one class? Nothing will happen. So saying what? You know, the person falls off the track. This is what it is. So Titiksha is, is, is putting up with all difficulties in one's life for the sake of the learning. And the Titiksha is directly also linked to what? Mamukshutvam, Jignyasutvam that we talked about. Because without the desire to learn, the putting up with difficulties is not going to happen. And you know, this is particularly of note for the people, you know, who are living in this country or western countries. Because in western country what happens is that, you know, we this is Bhoga Bhumi. What is Bhoga Bhumi? Yeah. The, 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 the land of consumption. Yeah. The land of enchanted consumption. As a result of which you become disenchanted. That's all. So you become a conspicuous consumer. And you know, I mean in India people come to class and they just sit and then they learn and go. And here what do we do? We need some, you know, first we need encouragement. What will happen after class? Is there food <laughs> being served? Now, they, people ask like that. And in fact, people have asked me, what time are you serving lunch? I'll come just five minutes before that, listen to a little bit, and then I'll come, I'll, I'll surely be with you at time of lunch, Prasad. <laughs> and so, you know, in this country, there are certain difficulties with Titiksha. And, you know, which are not there in India because we don't take uh, so many things for uh, granted there. And here, you know, we need all. And if you look at a, you know, like a spiritual store. Somebody showed me one time that this is called, I forget what it, it was called. It's a spiritual store. And there were all these small, delicate teapots. Some kind of a zen, zen shop. I went there to meet some interfaith leaders and in this Zen shop, it was new shop and one of the leaders was owning this shop. So that's why I had to go there. And this delicately carved teapot and small, small cups and then various uh, shelves of green tea and yellow tea and white tea, jasmine tea and you know so many various kinds of brews. I said what is all this for? So that we can have a calm mindful cup of tea. So for the mindful cup of tea so many mindless pots. <laughs> so many pots with different handles and different things and one of them had the cup and the teapot in one. So the teapot was on top, the cup was balanced on the bottom and then you take it and then simply pour and the two go together and all these things. Then I looked at this side, they said please see this side because there was still time for the other leaders to arrive. So I was just watching. Cushions. For what? For meditation cushions. So you know, you can't meditate without a cushion. No, because the back pain is there so many things. Okay, take a meditation cushion. Then I saw a small cushion. Okay, the big cushion is for you to sit. That's fine. One cushion, no problem. What is this small cushion for? 
that is to keep the Tibetan bowl which is rings the bell and a separate cushion for the bell. So one cushion for you, one cushion for the bell and then before the meditation you ring the bell and then after the meditation you ring the bell. All this is okay, no, no problem with the rituals. But, uh, you know, and how much is this whole thing? Only $275 because that Tibetan, you know, bronze bell is very, that bowl which, is, which serves as the bell is very expensive. And then there were all these harnesses to be able to sit in, uh, you know, in Padmasana to be able to do that. All these contraptions we don't see. Why? Because we are, you know, in India and other places we don't see. Because that is not a culture of consumption. Here even the spiritual artifacts are made into objects of consumption. And the more one consumes, the more one starts to feel, I cannot live without this. And the more one starts to feel, I cannot live without it, the tiksha goes down the drain. So the ability to put up with some amount of physical and mental discomfort for the sake of the knowledge is a very important qualification. And then we have Shraddha. Shraddha is the way in which I look upon the knowledge and the words, the, the Shastra, the teachings and the words of the teacher combined. So this is what is called Shraddha. And Shraddha here means the reverence pending understanding, faith pending understanding. So it's a belief that yes, moksha me bhuyat, yes, I, I do want moksha and yes, I will get it because the Shastra is infallible and the Shastra is going to give me what I seek. And why will that uh, faith come? Because I have tried everything else and nothing has worked. <laughs> and the, so the same faith and the trust that I had when I tried other things like the first six marriages <laughs> and the first 18 jobs and the first 15 so many other things. I, I tried that every other thing in life with complete shraddha. I said, yes, it's going to work. Yes, this investment is going to work. Yes, this job is going to work. Yes, this marriage is going to work. Nobody marries while saying this marriage is not going to work. In fact, one should not marry if that is the situation. So when you marry, marry here is used as a upalakshana, a metaphor for commitment in general. So when you commit to something, you have shraddha in those things. Otherwise, you have a value for those things and you have a trust that it's going to work. But what happens? It doesn't. Why? Because I'm looking for the finite, uh, the, the, the infinite in finite places. Sadhana sadhya asambandhaha. A kind of a disconnect between the means and the ends. That's why it doesn't work. Because what I want is the subject and I'm seeking for the subject in various objects. And what I have, I'm seeking thinking I don't have. So what I already have cannot be sought because it's really myself alone. So the seeking is again within uh, apostrophes. And so here the seeker being the sought, the change has to take place. Again we go back to Jignasutvam. Do you see why I started with that? Mm -hmm. Again you go back to the desire to know because I am already what I seek. I have to know that 
and it's the process of discovering that thing, the teaching, for which I have to help myself with several dollops of this trust, Shraddha. And this trust is very important. In fact, if we had to take one qualification, that is the, the ultimate one, we would say Shraddha. And uh, Bhagavad Gita also confirms this and says, Shraddhavan Labhate Jnanam. The person endowed with Shraddha gains the teachings, gains the knowledge. And what is this Shraddha? It's a trust. It's a committed trust. Shastrasya Guru Vakyasya Satya Buddhi Avadharana Sa Shraddha Kathitha Sadbhihi Yaya Aksharam Adhigamyate By which attitude the, the timeless truth of oneself is gained as oneself. That attitude of trust and total openness to the teaching is called Shraddha. And usually this is what have this is the greatest obstacle to gaining this teaching, especially in Western countries, because the Shraddha is badly affected. Because in Western countries there is a lot of I mean, even now India and other countries are not an exemption. But earlier, what what was the case was that in the Western countries there was much more alienation. The individuality. I spoke about this earlier. Like the two-year-old is asked, what are you going to have for breakfast? When it can't even say the word breakfast. <laughs> and so when you develop, I mean, it's a different way. And not, not that, you know, developing the individuality is wrong. But the thing is, the individuality already develops. It's nature for it to develop. And so we don't have to nurture it more and more. And so here... In the Western countries, the more the individuality is developed, the more the alienation from the whole. And also the kinship networks are not that strong. You know, in India, the child has instant therapy. You know, the mother will scold the child. How many times have I told you not to do this? Because mother is upset, angry, busy, stressed, whatever. How many times have I told you not to do this? Are you deaf or what? Give me that. You cannot have that. What does the child do? promptly burst into tears. But then there is a whole network. <laughs> the grandma is waiting for this. <laughs> yeah. Grandma is waiting in the wings just for this. Which grandma? The, ah, the paternal one. Yeah. Waiting for this. And the child runs to the grandma. The grandma wants to be feel needed here. And the grandma just envelops the child. Wipes the tears and says, you know what, beta? This is your mother is wrong. <laughs> you are correct. Why shouldn't you have that thing? You know, you should have whatever you want. Too bad she took it away. Otherwise, I would have given it to you myself. <laughs> and you know what? Not only she is wrong, her mother is also like that. Her whole family is wrong. Her whole lineage is wrong. And problematic as this may sound. <laughs> The child doesn't understand all that. The child only needs validation. And the child goes away happily fine. You know, it's instant therapy. There was always a lack. Even now in rural areas, in the, you know, non-Western countries, there is always a lack for the child. Uncle, aunt, you know, grandmother, grandfather, neighbor, anybody the child could run. And you know, and the children often threaten, if you treat me like this, I'm going to leave home. 
Where are you going to go? I'm going to go to the neighbor's house. They will say like this. And that shows that there is a certain freedom. And, and you know, there is an African proverb, which I'm sure all of you have learned, that it takes an entire village to raise a child. That's the truth. And here in the West, what do we have? Every lab has a laptop. Yeah. Where is the place for the child? Laptop is again a metaphor for, for one's commitments. One's individual commitments and one's individual projects and one's individual little life. The laptop is a doorway to an entire universe called the internet. That's what it is. And so this becomes, everybody is looking through the window of the laptop and not looking to see the, the what is needed here. So that validation not being there in childhood, you know, you know, makes for the case for a heavy unconscious. An unconscious that is very difficult because it has lost its trust so much that the jiva becomes extremely beaten and extremely, you know, sad, hopeless and discouraged. And these become the uh, anathema of shraddha. Sad, too much sadness, too much discouragement, too much, you know, distrust. Because the distrust in the parental units starts very early. And sometimes they are not even there because they have to, in the western countries, both have to work many times and they have, both have to be gone. They have to make the ends meet. They have to put the food on the table. So there are all these uh, uh, circumstances which lead to the alienation. And this is the lack of shraddha can be immediately traced to the childhood problems. And I'm not saying this in a derogatory way. I'm saying this because this is one way to fix it. So that we know, I mean, if it's childhood problem, immediately we, we, we have psychotherapy. The point is not, oh, I wish I had a light unconscious. Everything is heavy in life now, unconscious is <laughs> also heavy. That's not the point. Doesn't matter, it can be overcome, which is the beauty of this whole thing. It can be lack of shraddha can be overcome. Shraddha is something to be cultivated. The trust can be cultivated. It can be rediscovered through psychotherapy, through other things, you know, whatever it takes. Sometimes you may need to, you know, go on some kind of a quest, leave everything and go. The Native Americans had this uh, thing called vision quest. They would just leave everything and go till they find some answers. And sometimes it means that you have to, you know, stay there and deal with all the pain that is coming up so that the pain is out of the way in order for me to be blessed by this knowledge. You have to take care of the pain. Teacher cannot take care of your pain because then that becomes, then the teacher becomes mother or father or therapist. No, you have to take care of the pain. And the, the Vedanta is what is called super therapy. Yeah, it's the therapy of all therapies. And it's the therapy that validates you absolutely by showing that you are the absolute. How beautiful that is. But until that, you have to have a relative sense of validation and that validation is connected with trust. So that building of the trust, regaining of the trust is Shraddha, the trust that was lost in childhood, which is an invariable process for everybody who is growing up. 
regardless of in which country. The loss of trust in the childhood has to be regained and there should be at least one thing that you believe in. You know, Even if not Bhagavan, you believe in the teachings. It's enough because the teaching is what? About Bhagavan. So one thing you believe in until you know. This is not an empty belief like as is propounded by some uh, you know conservative theologies that that have this very narrow interpretation of Christianity and what have you. Where is God? God is in heaven. Who made heaven? God made heaven. Where was God before he made heaven? Don't ask questions, you know. This is this is not this is not that kind of a belief. This is a belief pending understanding. A belief that is waiting to fructify in the form of your own knowledge is that which you help yourself by, by interrogating and healing the layers of hopelessness that have accumulated like cobwebs in the tamasic mind in the darkness of ignorance. And this is what is called Shraddha. And then finally, the final one of this six-pack is called Samadhanam. Samyak Adhanam and Samahitaha, the one who has single-minded focus. You may be doing a lot of things. There are several irons in the fire, but the main focus is the knowledge. All other activities subserve. Then only the knowledge takes place. So this is the internal homework for, you know, for becoming what Ashwalayana has become. And this is the one word Elaboration. What is that one word we have been studying since yesterday? Atha. <laughs> we haven't gone beyond Atha. Somebody, I received an email today saying, is it too late to join Kaivalya Upanishad? And I said, no. <laughs> How far have you covered? <laughs> I said, just one word. <laughs> Atha. So, so, like this, this is teaching. No, you can't just gloss over everything. That's not teaching. This is the Arsha lineage. This is what is called lineage. This is what you learn from your own teachers and you are able to give, not just as empty words because you have understood them and you are able to make other people see. This is what Pujya Swamiji does. This is what, you know, this is the bread and butter. You have to hone the knowledge. You know, you have to make the person see. So it's not about getting somewhere and already people are getting worried. How many, uh, you know, how many, uh, uh, what's its name? How many verses? Yeah, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 11, 14. Oh my God, 23, 24 verses. And now we are not even, you know, now we are not even on the first verse, we are we, we are on the first word of the first verse. And how many classes have gone by? Kitna gaya hai? Yeah. This is the fourth class. Kya baat hai? You know? Yeah, don't worry. It's not how far you get or how much you do. You listen and learn what is what is needing to be learned. And so the single-minded focus is what is required, samadhanam. Samadhanam means the ability to focus without having other irons in the fire or even if the other irons in the fire, you turn them on to low and then you still focus on the knowledge. 
Yeah, no matter what you do, the focus is the knowledge. It's like a person who is going to the airport. What is the point of going to the airport? To catch a plane and take off, correct? So that is moksha, you take off. All right, so on, let's say on the way to the airport, the person says, you know, I think I have a lot of time. I'm going to stop at the local cafe, which I like to go to, and I'm going to have some small breakfast. And the person has some breakfast. Then since they have a lot of time, they also decide that, you know, the, the laundry, the dry cleaning has been sitting in the car for so many days. Why not I drop off to the dry cleaners after the breakfast? Where is the person headed? Airport. Airport. We are not going to the dry cleaners. We are neither going to the cafe nor to the dry cleaners. Then at the dry cleaners, the person meets a friend. So where are you going? I'm going to the airport. Oh, what time is your flight? One o'clock. It's only 11. What would you do so far there? Come to my house. I have purchased a new house. I want you to, you know, see what it's like. Come and see. Okay. Then the person goes to the house of the friend. And the friend says, I'll drop you to the airport. You can park your car here. Okay. Then again, on they're on the way to the airport. And the traveler says, can we stop here and get a few things? Because food at the airport is so expensive. I have a long flight, so I'll just pick up something from the grocery store. Then they stop at the grocery store. And then finally, jake, 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 going, going, going. Finally, they reach the airport at noon. Correct? So, how many stops along the way? Many stops. You know, cafe, dry cleaner, friend's house, grocery store, four stops. Where is the destination all the time? The airport is the destination. So too, for the person who has samadhanam, moksha is the destination. And, you know, and what happens as a result of that? You know, you can have many stops. Marriage is one stop. <laughs> yeah, don't make it a full stop, that's all. <laughs> Marriage is one stop. Children, another stop. Job, another stop. But still, where are you headed all the time? Waiting to take off. Moksha. This is Samadhanam. You know, so this is what is called the six-pack. Shama, Dhamma, Uparati, Shraddha, Utitiksha, Shraddha and Samadhanam, these six. And the discernment that leads me to, to collect these six qualities within myself, to strive for these six qualities, to develop them within myself, is called Viveka. That discernment that without this I will not get this knowledge. And this knowledge is what I want because it is the only thing that is infinite which happens to be myself and all other things are finite. This, this conclusion is called Viveka. And this discernment that in order to do this, I need all this, that is also part and parcel of Viveka. So Viveka is Nitya Nitya Vastu Viveka. What is Anitya? Anitya is everything that I encounter. What is Nitya? The encounterer is Nitya. Nitya means infinite. The one who encounters is Nitya, Everything else is anitya. And so I have to know the encounterer. 
I don't have to satisfy myself by so many counters of experience. I have to, I have to see myself as the truth of all there is. This is called Viveka. And when and, and the Viveka gives a direction to the purpose in the life and to how to proceed with the teachings, it gives direction. It is what the Viveka is what uh, leads one to discover the inner helplessness and the need for a teacher. You know, and Viveka is the one that makes one seek a teacher. And then Vairagya, the, next, the last one in the four, is, is the one that allows the teaching to unfold. What is Vairagya? Dispassion. Objectivity, really. Because usually I look at everything with filters. Vairagya means knowing that the finite can never produce the infinite. That I'm on the wrong quest. And the ability and the inner discipline to let go of those activities and pursuits that are dead-end pursuits. That leave me feeling dead-end. As soon as you know that the pursuit is not, if the bus is, you know, you hop on a bus because you, you are trying to be a mindful commuter, let's say, you don't want to drive, you hop on the bus and then very soon you find out that the bus is just going in circles. It's not taking you to your destination. That knowing that, oh my God, this bus is just going in circles is Viveka. And, they, you know, making yourself get off the bus is Vairagya. <laughs> Understood? Yeah. Sometimes what happens, Viveka comes, but still the person, at least the breeze is coming. At least I don't have to do anything. I'm, I'm going somewhere. At least the bus is not stopped. That is foolishness. So Viveka and Vairagya go together. So what are the four qualities now? Viveka, Vairagya, Shamadamadi, the Shama, etc., the six which we talked about, Shamadama, Uparati, Titiksha, Shraddha, Samadhanam, and then finally, Mumukshutvam, which should be read as Jignasutvam. Yeah, these are the six, uh, these are the four qualifications. Atha means, from the question itself, from the little that we have studied, you know, we know that the word Atha, what all it describes, who has it in full measure? Ashvalagana has it in total measure. Ashvalagana has that in total measure because he is able to, he has already approached the teacher, you know, he has approached the teacher and, and you know, we have uh, him asking, Adhihi Bhagavan, please teach me, not calculus or mathematics, teach me what? Brahma Vidya, he knows that there is such a thing called Brahma Vidya which he cannot learn himself and so that is what he and, and how has he approached the teacher? Properly. Samyak Upetya Uvacha Adhihi Bhagavan and what Adhihi teach me what? Brahma Vidya and here the word Brahma Vidya is qualified by an adjective Varishtam Varishtha. Yeah. Vara means good. Varishtha, best. Exalted. The most exalted. 
this also shows how mature he is. He has gained so much emotional maturity. Varishtha means what? The, the ultimate. You see, because there is a difference between other branches of knowledge and Atma Vidya, Brahma Vidya. What is the difference? Simply put, all other bodies of knowledge leave me wanting. Leave me more ignorant than when I started. This is what happens. If a person really knows physics, they become very humble. They say, oh my God, you know, what is going to happen? I mean, there are so many things I don't know. I don't know how these electrons are behaving. I don't know if I know the this kind of physics. I don't know quantum physics. If I know astrophysics, I don't know how matter behaves. I don't know how all these things behave. You become humble. The more you know, the more you know that you do not know. The infinite Jagat, Bhagavan's Jagat is infinite. And that is what I mean by the manifestation of infinite knowledge. I said the Jagat is nothing but knowledge. That's all it is. But today it came in the, in the news. Very nice item. That this Voyager 1, it's a spacecraft, older, and it's been going, 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 longer than Energizer battery. It's been, it's been in, the, in, the, in the spin. And where is it headed? It is headed to see what is, how long does it take to cross the solar system, to go beyond the solar system, how long does it take? And of course, all this is pure inference. This is so fascinating. Mm. And so this Voyager 1 is still going, going, going. And here the, the NASA and all the other scientists are sitting down. And from its movements and from what it hits, the kind of magnetic field which is the solar system they are familiar with. So now they are seeing that it, is, it, may, be, it may be transiting to a slightly different magnetic field. But what is scary is that that magnetic field also seems extremely strong. So they don't know if there is a host of planets right outside and, and stars and everything right outside the solar system or if the solar system is bigger than they expected. And how long will the Voyager take to cross the solar system? Nobody knows. <laughs> it's fascinating, you know. So like this, the knowledge, you know, and then the, the, the you should see it, you know, sometimes these NASA scientists give interviews and then when you look at the interviews, every second word, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know exactly what it is. There are all these Goldilocks planets and they are actually closer than we thought they were. You know, it's like when you are driving the car, the side mirror. Say, what does it say? What does it say? Objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. Exactly. Objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. <laughs> And I saw one comic once, there was one big eye, one eye was there and if it, already it was so close and then it was closer than it appears. And so now the scientists are finding that the whole idea of so-called life outside of this planet, and I'm not going to call it alien life because they will also be considering us aliens only. Yeah. And so the so-called, the extension of life beyond this planet is, is becoming a a, a more and more of a possibility and so all these 
planets which were thought to be in what is called the Goldilocks zone. Goldilocks zone? <laughs> Neither too hot nor too cold. <laughs> like the porridge, you know, the three bears and Goldilocks, like that story. So all these planets in the Goldilocks zone are more and more and more. And not only are they more and more and more, they are closer than they appear. <laughs> <laughs> there is one just like those side mirrors where objects are uh, planets that may have life are closer and closer to the earth than they appear and now they have found a set of planets which have three suns yeah not one but those suns are slightly less uh, you know powerful than our sun so it, it's not that three one sun itself we cannot stand no, those are kind of mild suns. And in that system, there are at least four planets that are warm enough to host life, water, etc. And there are only 20 million, 21 million light years, 20 light years away, 21 light years, not even million. That's very close because when we talk of light years, light year means how long it takes for light to travel for one year. In one second, the light goes 186,000 miles per second. So multiply, do the, do the mathematics and then you calculate how long it takes to travel for one year, that is one light year. So only 21 light years away, there is all these planets that are just, you know, the solar system and the whole universe is more crowded than what was first thought. Objects in the, in the telescope are closer than they appear. <laughs> so you see, the more you know, the more you are left knowing. So this is the whole the uh, field of astrophysics. When you take the psycho psychology, the very human mind, and then you know there is always they they have a manual called DSM, you know, Diagnostic and Statistic Manual. And every year it is, every year or two years it is uh, revalidated. Why? Because new new disorders are added. <laughs> The disorders are new. No, they have been there. The discovery of that as a disorder, important enough to be put in the DSM manual, has been now, you know, agreed upon by the scientists. This is fascinating. That means that what they were eating bananas before, if they did not know that holding, like for example, holding. So now this is a recent disorder, holding and so many other things, you know. So they, they were, the scientists were eating bananas? No, no, that is what they could know then. The more you know, the more there is what you don't know. And don't even talk about the medical field. In the medical field, all the time you go and say, why is my back hurting? They will do 32 tests, you know. <laughs> One less test than the number of years Indra had to spend <laughs> in the stables. They will do 32 tests. After that, we will say, we don't know the cause, but here take these pills or let's put an injection, cortisone injection. That's all they will say. We don't know. Why does it behave like this? We don't know. And take any, you know, anything. What, what is this? This is a flower. Why this has only these four petals? Don't know. Because that's how this flower is. But why is it that's how? Don't know. And why this flower has different color and bigger size and so many petals? Don't know. So this Nahim Alum, I don't know, is part of the vocabulary of every learned person. That's why Vidya Vinaya Sampanna. 
Vidya and Vinaya go together. Vinaya means total humility. If somebody is showing off, that means they don't know. If somebody says, I am humbled by everything that I know, that is the scholar really. So in every branch of knowledge, this is the same story. The same old story is that the more I specialize, there is a whole host of information to which I am not privy at all, which slowly becomes evident in time. And sometimes not even that. I'm left with a feeling of incompleteness. The more I delve into the world of the knowledge of objects, the more I am left dealing with myself as incomplete because every knowledge is incomplete. It leaves you incomplete. That's why somebody I saw recently, somebody I met, uh, they said they have got four PhDs. And I had only one uh, question. Why? <laughs> you know, one itself is, is difficult to gain. You have to have so much coursework. You have to have so much, you know, other uh, uh, field work and dissertation and all these things. And to gain four, four PhDs. Why? Because that sense of that, that, that desire to know is built into the human mind. But when it is not directed inward, when it is directed outwards, it will become a permanent seeker. Yeah. It will keep on seeking, 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 seeking. So one becomes a quintessential doonder. <laughs> keep seek, keep seeking, keep seeking, keep seeking, seek, 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 endlessly seeking. And that's why there is a sense of incompletion. No matter how much I know, I feel I don't know. And I feel that something is missing. Because the Jagat is like that. It's an endless manifestation. And the human mind is a finite manifestation, correct? Yeah, one of the finite manifestations. So if you are trying to become infinite by knowing all the things in the Jagat, the mind can only, you know, hold that much. And in a particular lifetime, you can only amass this much knowledge, not more than that. And that knowledge keeps you wanting because it leaves you with more unanswered questions than, you know, than answers. And so that is not... That is not Varishtha Vidya. Varishtha means the knowledge which seeks the only knowledge whose purpose is to satiate what? All quests. They are all quests and along with them questions. Go into a state of repose. That is called Varishtha Vidya. The most exalted knowledge. Which is Brahma Vidya. Why? Because only in Brahmavidya there is a sense of completion of the quest. And what is the quest about? The quest about the quest that is inbuilt into every human mind. Whether they actualize it or not is a different thing. The quest that is inbuilt into every human mind is this desire, this overwhelming desire for oneness. To become one with everything. 
to become one with the source of everything. This is how the desire is manifest, not knowing that one is already one. So Brahma Vidya teaches that you are already one. And like if we take this part, you know. So the part has, you know, the part is feeling that it is a small part. And in fact, it is very upset with me because I'm holding it with one finger. Because it is teetering this way and that way. And it is afraid that it cannot sustain one more crack. I showed you the other day how many cracks it has. See, all these cracks. Yeah, it is a, it's a, it's been around for some time. So the poor crack pot identifying itself as a finite entity is very upset right now, you know. And the, the pot feels that I am not the whole. I want to be the whole. I want to become the whole. And that wanting to become is samsara. So yesterday we discovered a new word. What is that? The Upanishad for the pot is called pot Upanishad. Yeah. And Upanishad <laughs> just meant to enlighten the pot. <laughs> we coined a new word, pot Upanishad. And so what does the pot Upanishad say? You are not pot. What are you? Clay. So we have two words now to describe this pot. What is one word? Pot. Okay. And what is the pot guru's word? To describe the pot? Clay. So are pot and clay synonyms because they refer to the same thing? Hmm? No. They cannot be synonyms. <laughs> right? They are not synonyms. Even though they refer to the same thing. You know, when you say pot, what you mean is what is in the, this, this particular form. And this, which has this particular name called pot. And then the other one is what? Clay. If they refer to the same things, then they should be synonyms. Like water and aqua. Right? Apaha. Sanskrit word. They are all synonyms. But here it's not the case of water and aqua. These are not synonyms. If these are not synonyms, what are they then? Pot and clay. They refer to the same thing. So what are they if they are not synonyms? Which one is correct? Ah. Ah. <laughs> Which one is the real word that describes what we have here in our hand? So if we say pot, okay, that is also true. Then I will say, please take the pot, but leave the clay. Take the pot out of the clay. Are you able to do that? No. The smell of pot is the smell of clay. The sight of pot is the sight of clay. The color of pot is the color of clay. The touch of pot, that coolness, is the touch of clay. Where is the pot? Pot has gone to pot. Yeah, there is no pot. And so, this is what we say, this is Indian magic, you know. Yeah. You don't need all these abracadabra and somebody slipping it inside the, you know, that what is that called, slate of hand and say the pot has disappeared. That for us is very base, base level, rudimentary magic, what children do, you know, like a mere card trick. This Vedic magic is having the pot right in front of your eyes and making it go away. <laughs> Being able to see that all this alone is clay, there is no pot at all anywhere in the equation because the pot goes, 
the pot resolves into the understanding that this is indeed clay. But why should the pot resolve? Because if the pot doesn't resolve, you know what happens? It dissolves into tears. <laughs> I am only small pot. I am crack pot. I am a bekar pot. I am I, I'm, I'm a useless pot. I am a hopeless pot. And look at this pot. This pot is so big. And this is going to eat me up. Gone. Swaha. You know? And so the identification of itself as a pot is a mistaken identification and then it will have a competition with this pot because this one has a, this is a glazed pot, a design pot, a bicolored pot, I am a uniform pot, I don't have a paint thing, that's why and I have a hole at the bottom, so no flower, I can't even be a little flower pot, I am a useless, you know, sad little pot and so therefore that overwhelming sense of incompletion and self-inadequacy that we talked about in the first two introductory classes, which the Upanishad sets about to correct, is what we are talking about now. That knowledge of oneness, that knowledge of Brahman not as an object, but that which reveals the truth of the subject is alone what is being discussed at hand. Om Purnamadav Purnamidam Purnat Purnamadachate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vishishyate Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Namaha Hari Om